Coming up on this episode, novelist and filmmaker J.C. Calciano is here to tell us all about his steamy stories. Welcome to episode 308 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Jeff Adams, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, Rainbow Romance readers. We are so glad that you could join us for another episode. It's been a great week here because we have gotten back into the ballroom scene. We started off this week looking at the season premiere of Pose, which is back on FX. The show is looking at the year of 1994 right now, having jumped forward about three years from where season two ended. I love coming back to it, although most of our characters are in somewhat of a bad place right now for various reasons. I look forward to seeing what the next five episodes come back with, and we'll certainly be talking more about the season as it continues. But yeah, I'm really glad to be back with these characters, and I'm sad the show's about to end, but I I really hope it's going to end well. Did you enjoy the season premiere? Yeah, the show time jumped three years in that two episode premiere. And boy, they packed three years worth of melodrama into those episodes. It was very intense. If you need to catch up on all things Pose, seasons one and two are on Netflix. And season three continues all this month on FX Sundays at 10. We've also come back to Legendary, the HBO Max ballroom competition series. We fell in love with it last season as all of these amazing Houses came together to throw down some amazingly fierce competition, and they are bringing it all back to the floor this year as well. I've thoroughly enjoyed the three episodes that HBO Max gave us for the premiere this past week, and boy, there's going to be some big competition for that $100,000 this season. Just like last year, every single member of these houses is beautiful and fierce and amazing and so damn talented. The episodes we've seen so far with the themes and ballroom categories have been a whole lot of fun. I'm looking forward to more. If you'd like to jump into Legendary, new episodes of Season 2 drop Thursdays on HBO Max, and of course Season 1 is still there as well. One last note before we get to this week's interview, we want to encourage everyone to pick up the summer 2021 issue of The Knot magazine. Now why in the world are we recommending a bridal magazine to you? Well, because for the very first time, a gay couple is appearing on the cover. Actor Jonathan Bennett and his fiancée James are the cover story for the summer issue. They talk about how they met and their engagement and how they're planning on making their wedding the outest and proudest affair they possibly can. Jonathan and James are just as cute as can be, and I'm so happy for them. The rest of the issue is packed with a lot of interesting articles. There's a piece on recommendations for gender-neutral fashion and several other experts giving advice on how you can make your ceremony more modern and inclusive. Plus, there's the familiar editorial content, fabulous gowns, and pictures of beautiful tropical honeymoon destinations. It's all really amazing. If you happen to see this issue of The Knot on your newsstands or at the drugstore or your supermarket checkout line, we highly recommend you pick it up. It's really great to see a wedding magazine devote an issue to pride. And that's one of the reasons we'd really like you to pick this up when you see it, to encourage not only the not to do this again, but to perhaps encourage other wedding magazines to do something similar in the future. So we're longtime fans of J.C. Calciano's films, including The Ten Year Plan and The Steam Room Stories, just to name a couple. Earlier this year, he released the delightful rom-com novel Revenge of the Brobot, which I reviewed back in episode 295. That book gave the Steam Room Stories universe a bit of a futuristic edge. He's also got a new fiction podcast that he's doing featuring some short steamy stories. And we get to find out about the book and the podcast and 
everything else that's going on, including what's coming up next from JC. JC, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited that you're here to talk about Revenge of the Brobot, among other things. Well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm delighted as well. I, I, I love I love meeting you guys and, and it was such a pleasure to meet you and I love your stuff. So it's kind of a privilege and, and, a, and a really awesome thing to be doing. We're so excited that you reached out because I mean, Revenge of the Brobot was such this wonderfully light, breezy rom-com that has a little, little bit of sci-fi in it because let's face it, these robots don't exist at the moment. And before we really get into Revenge of the Brobot, this is part of your Steam Room Stories universe. Yes. For those who are unfamiliar, tell us about that because it's been around for quite a while, a decade, I believe. Yeah, over actually, yeah, 12 years. I started Steam Room Stories after I did my first film, which was Is It Just Me? So Is It Just Me is a classic love story just about two boys who find each other and and i had such a great experience with is it just me i wanted to just take a little bit of break but i wanted to create content so i was thinking what can i do that is affordable and and bite size and just kind of a fun fun little side project so i didn't have a lot of resources so i i i had literally had a fog machine that uh, was in my closet. I want to do this kind of sketch comedy, but I want it to be sexy and fun. So I went to Kmart and I bought a shower curtain that looked like tiles. And I got my coffee table and I put it, I taped it to the wall and I put the coffee table there and I stuck the fog machine underneath the bench and I brought in a couple actors who were great looking guys, wrote a script and Went, grabbed a couple of towels and made Steam Room Stories. It's just a little three-minute sketch, kind of fun thing to do just to explore YouTube because YouTube was kind of picking up at that time in 2009. So I put these episodes up and I just wanted to make make a gay comedy program, but it gay wasn't what it was. It was just gay, gay men just talking about bro stuff and it, and it kind of evolved or devolved into 80s kind of valley 80s the guys all kind of turned into these bro-ish valley 80s kind of caricatures which was fun and we all became friends we all had such a great time shooting it that we shot over and over and over and we just wanted to do more there really was nothing in an agenda of any sort other than just getting together every couple of weeks and shooting these episodes but over 10 years later, over 250 episodes later. Wow. Yeah, we had over 250 episodes and we, we've gotten over like 63 million views. When I was done with my fourth movie, The 10-Year Plan, my husband says, well, what do you want to do next? And I said, I, I don't know what I want to do. I don't really kind of have anything in mind. He says, well, what do you enjoy doing the most? So I said, well, I enjoy the Steam Room stories the most. And if, if I could just make videos with these guys all day long let's just do that so he said well why don't you turn it into a movie and i wrote the steam room stories movie which came out last year and that was such a, a great experience and so fun that when covid hit i decided well can't really go out can't shoot more steam room stories episodes so let me write my idea for the sequel as a book and uh, and that's where Revenge of the Brobot came from. And uh, 
subsequently now just enjoy writing and just kind of creating more content and and hopefully another book in that world so it's kind of turned into something more than i had expected from from a couple of just fun little episodes to shoot over 10 years ago and that's a lot of content i mean even as short as those are you stack up 250 of those episodes plus a feature film that was i want to say at least 90 ish minutes if i remember correctly that's a huge body of work over a decade. What kept you coming back to those stories? What was making them so much fun? The guys. I've been very, very fortunate with all the movies. I've always ended up casting people who I just want to hang out with. Actors who, when, yes, I like to think they're great actors, and yes, they look great on on camera, but they're just good guys. And, and I'm friendly with almost every single actor who's ever been in any of my movies in the last 12 years. And we still we still get together and we still hang out and, and as like with all the steam room guys. So it's really it's really just like a big frat party when they get together. We we end up half as productive as we should because half of the time it's it's just hijinks and, and ridiculousness. But I, I enjoy the company of, of uh, the actors, and I always I always did. So that's what makes me want to make films is the uh, response from the audience and the fans who enjoy it and, and working with the actors. Because writing is a lot of a solitary work, but when you have an opportunity to kind of get out of that and share it with people who, who enjoy what they do, actors acting, living their dream, it's really kind of really rewarding. You've got really such a diverse group of guys in the in the video stories and the movie as, as you know, those characters evolved and more people kind of came into it, and in the book as well. How did you decide the the types of guys to populate in this group? Well, I just kind I try to I try to represent as much of the community as I can, and I think that people people need voices and a lot of a lot of times they're not given voices so i try to embrace as many different kinds of people and and voices and types of people as i can so so it's really always been from when i started just including and broadening and welcoming the community of course they're they're attractive men but i really try not to limit them to a specific type because everyone's got different types and everyone should be represented at least hopefully in my world so that's that's really what i i try to do i i aggressively try to do that to think about other people and and people who don't have voices and now in this book you've gone and given voice to a robot (laughs) in this maybe not too too distant future that you're in where you've got rob who stands for a robot with organic body what led you to mix a robot into all of this well, well, I thought it was kind of an interesting metaphor to explore what people love and who they love. I thought, well, well, why, why not explore what love is as a concept as opposed to what's right and wrong about it, and 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 move beyond any kind of judgment, whether it's 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 right or wrong for for two people to two men to love each other, two women to love each other, or or if a, if a person loves something other than that, if they think. They think it's a man and it's not. Is what does it matter? Love is love. All of my properties, 
I mean, the movies and, and steam room stories and, and, and the movies all explore what what does it mean to love somebody and, and what does it mean to love yourself? And that really is my reoccurring theme. And, and this just was another opportunity to explore love, I think, for me. One of the things that was really nice and really sweet about Revenge of the Robot is nobody really took Chase aside and went, okay, he's a robot. Are you sure about this? <laughs> there was just like this instant acceptance to it, which I guess goes towards exactly what you're looking at there. Yeah. If if you're happy and you love you love someone and then then you're then great. And if if it turns out that he's a robot, then we're not ones to judge. And that was really where where I wanted to go with the story. Is that who who is anyone else to d- determine and judge what what it is that you love? If you if you're happy, then then that's all that needs to be considered. It really reminded me of some of the themes that Star Trek: The Next Generation played with with Commander Data, the android on the show, because there were recurring themes over those seasons of what does it mean for him to be a sentient being. Mm-hmm. and things like that. And then there's also the Pinocchio element that <laughs> kind of wanders its way in here too as Rob Brother becomes the, the real boy, if you will, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. over the course of the story too. Seems like that'd be fun to play with at the same time. Yeah, I, I'd i like to explore different things, meaning Barbarians from Planet Brotron, which is what I'm currently writing, is exploring without giving too much away interplanetary romance. And why not? Right? And why not? I mean, do they have steam rooms in space? <laughs> See, you have to read the book now. <laughs> now, in Revenge of the Robot, you've got a lot going on in this book. You've got your main romance with, with Chase and Rob. You've got a ton of ancillary romances that crop up as well, which I really enjoyed kind of seeing how piece by piece, even the grumpiest of the people found a love connection in there. You've got the whole museum gala. You've got the military and the scientists trying to recover Rob. I mean, a good bit of general hijinks as well (laughs) kind of going on. How did you balance all this as an author to keep, all of it together and all the plates essentially spinning and not losing track of any of it. I spent a lot of time outlining the story and then mapping it out and mapping out the character arcs. I like when things tie together and people's stories come to to a satisfying conclusion. But I would have to say it's really just pre-production. Being a filmmaker, I think about everything as as a structure and as a story goes through a structure and then all the character arcs, it's all mapped out really before I even start the story. I, I, I think I know where I'm going to go. I know where all the characters are going to go. And the writing is just the formality of it because it's all in my head from the very beginning. And rarely do do I come across a happy accident. Sometimes I do. I think, oh, well, these two ends could, could connect, and sometimes they do, but for the most part, it's, it's really just planning. As you moved into books, Tenure Plan was your first novel to publish. What was it like to translate that screenplay to a novel? Taking what you had and then actually 
fleshing it out and putting into it what a book would need to stand on its own. Well, screenplay is ostensibly a blueprint, which was the biggest challenge because when I wrote the screenplay, it's really just dialogue and story, right? And then uh, when I decided to novelize this, the movie, I was fortunate in the sense that I was very happy with the movie and the actors. So I, I was putting to pen what they did, but I, I did kind of learn as I realized how much the actors bring to a movie in the sense that the subtlety of their acting is, is the, their emotion and, and how they kind of get to a place. I put it on paper as a blueprint and then the actor comes in and they, they really kind of fill it out, right? But now in a book, I have to take what they're doing on the screen and now translate back to a page, which is a little interestingly backwards. I also tried to flesh out the story a little bit. So what wasn't on the screen, I gave I gave the reader more backstory and more origin stories. So this way, if they liked the movie, they would like the book and they would learn more uh, about what's going on. But I did find it very interesting that a room that I could build and a set that I could build now has to be fully described. And that subtle look between the two actors now has to be put to paper and, and described, it does give you a different different set of tools in that what you can do in a book and that you can't do in a movie is you have that inner monologue, which is really fun for an author. Movies give you a certain set of opportunities and a book gives you a different set of opportunities as, as a storyteller. So I, I don't know actually that I, I prefer one over the other because they're really two different wonderful things. It's like... What's your favorite food? Do you love Chinese food or Italian? Well, I guess it depends on the night because they're both awesome. So so there's different things about each of those two foods, right? So uh, maybe it's a bad analogy, but I do find that the writing of a book and writing of a movie gives me two playgrounds to play in, which one is not necessarily better for me. I, I like them both. Is there something as you were doing the novelization for 10-Year Plan that came up that you were like, oh, I wish I'd thought of that for the film. Or did you tra treat the book as like its wholly independent thing at that point? I, I don't know that I thought about anything that I thought needed to be in the film because I was trying to be very tight with the story and I feel like what needed to be in the film as far as their life and, and their journey and their arcs was already in the film. But when I wrote the book, I wasn't concerned about a 90-minute and I wasn't concerned about how somebody cons someone consumes a movie, they have, they have expectations of when there's going to be, uh, especially when you're doing a classic rom-com like that, there are certain expectations that have to hit in a certain amount of time. When you're sitting there watching and you're like, all right, whether you realize it or not, by a certain amount of time has passed, you need this to happen. Otherwise, you feel like it's dragging or it's just not satisfying. Whereas a book, you... You don't really have that. So you can give so much more without worrying about the pacing because if they're tired, they'll put it down and they'll pick it up and they'll put it down and they'll pick it up and rarely do they just consume it in one sitting. So you're not, your, your timing is really just kind of engaging them from chapter to chapter. So when they go, all right, well, I'm going to go to bed now. I'm going to just finish this chapter. I'm going to be okay. Does Robot get to become a film at some point? I could just see it being a movie. As I, as I listened to the audio production. 
I would love that. I, I wrote it with the intention of it never being a movie because I was like, I'm just going to write without budget. Since I, I produce my own movies, I always write with the budget in mind. So I said, I'm going to write Robot with no budget in mind. I'm going to go as crazy as I want to because it'll never be a movie. But then after I was done with it, I was like, I'm, I really want to see this as a movie. So now I'm kind of retroactively going back and saying, well, what what could I do and how could I get this to be a film? Because although it's certainly my most expensive story to put on screen, I think it is probably doable for within a reasonable budget. So yeah, I would love to make it into a movie. I think that it would make a really good film looking back at it, but that wasn't my intention. My intention was to never make it into a movie unless Marvel wanted option and then sure, sure. Then, then go for it. Chase and Rob would be an awesome addition to the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> and I could see the movie being elements being on the pricier side, especially like the big showdown at the end. That's a lot of people and bodies and location and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatnot <laughs> without giving anything away. <laughs> One of the things I found so absolutely hilarious that I referenced in my review of the book was all of the different ways you found to say cock. Pleasure Python, Rigid Rocket. I loved it. I Every time it came up, it's like, oh, that's another great one. How did you plan for that? Did you like end up with this list that you could eventually plug in? Because I can't imagine just coming up with them off the top of your head. <laughs> well, well, it is 10 years worth of Steam Room Stories scripts that I have used those for the last 10 years. I've been kind of fashioning that. And then me and my husband, when, when we when we talk about stuff, I always come up with like ridiculous ways of, of referring to body parts as, as different silly things. So I've, I've kind of groomed my way into these these terms. But I also will say that if you looked at my browser history, I, I look and my thesaurus is my best friend. I sit there and I think, um, all right, plums. And I'm like, what will rhyme or have alliteration with plums if I'm going to refer to so pleasure plums or, or something? So I do spend an entirely, entirely too much time coming up with silly names and, and, and making alliteration for things. But I do. I enjoy it. I think it's kind of funny, but I do have a whole arsenal of of those things uh, written down. And I'll, I'll, I'll write them down as they come to me. And my husband always uh, makes fun of me because I'll be in my room writing and laughing. And, he, and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I just and I'll just tell him what I wrote. And he's like, you're an adult. You really <laughs> you're sitting there giggling like a 12 year old girl who. <laughs> who just discovered something. And I was like, I think it's funny. So yeah, so I'll, I'll write them all down. And I, and I spent a lot of time looking and, and conjuring up imagery like that. I read Robot through the audio version. And the narrator just has to say that like it's the most common, normal, <laughs> just very matter of fact. And it just added to it. This is one of their their first books. And oh, wow. when... Yeah, and I, when I found them, we spoke about it and and how to how to read it and how to identify it. I think they did a great job, and and I'm very I'm very proud of of the work that they did. So yeah, I think yeah, that they did great. What was your favorite part of Revenge of the Robot to write? Do you have a favorite scene or something that's in there? 
because there's so much just awesomeness in there. I, I have to think you've got a favorite or two. It's funny that you identified it in your review, which is the uh, the Apple Watch. Oh. So so I I be so happy that it's your favorite. <laughs> when I write, there's always a time that I kind of like feel like all right. When I when I can kind of get myself thinking like emotionally like oh my this is a really powerful thing when I feel it as a as a writer and someone who comes up with it and then when I put the 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 pen to pad and and I kind of generate it and I feel like this is something I love and I, I I'm getting an emotional response to and that would be my moment was was that the ability to to come up with it and then integrate it into a story so it has it has a meaning so yeah that would be my moment that I feel like if I made a movie that would be like my uh, let's let's really explore how we can maximize this so yeah I enjoyed that moment oh that makes me so happy cuz yeah the moment of the giving the watch and then how it integrates at the end oh it was just everything <laughs> <laughs> thank you so you mentioned barbarians from Planet Broton that you're not going to tell us a lot about, which is understandable. How far do you see yourself taking Steam Room stories in book form? So I have five stories in my head. And it's one of those things I never, I never think about the end because if you would have asked me 12 years ago when, when I was in my living room shooting these guys... On, sitting on a coffee table with a fog machine between their legs in 15 years do you plan on on making a movie and releasing a, a series of books i would have been like what are you talking about so i don't know I, i'll just keep doing it as long as people want to read it and and it's fun to do i do have four stories in my head we'll see we'll see the where how many more come come to me and at the same time you've released this book, you're also preparing to move into podcast as a storytelling media with Steamy Stories. What what brought you into that medium? It was similar to years ago when I when I was just trying to explore something from short form. The actor from Steam Room Stories the movie, one of the leads, asked me to help him write some some horror short films. So I said sure. I'll work with you. And I started helping him write some horror short films and it was really fun. And I was like, boy, I've never written a short story, but uh, a, a four page story or a 15 minute story was really kind of fun. And, and, and having helped him with that, horror is not my genre and I'm not really, especially, I don't consider myself very good at it. He is. So he went over and he felt comfortable enough to go on his own. And I thought, well, I'm going to just write some some sexy stories, some steamy stories. So I started writing them to put on my author blog because my husband said, well, start a, I guess, a blog. I don't know whether it's technically a blog, if it's a collection of stories. But I started posting these stories over and over again. And one of my earlier Steam Room guys, Ben Palacios, who was very popular and uh, very talented, approached me and he said, I'm having a lot of fun doing my podcast called Ask Your Gay Uncle. So he's got him and him and his gay uncle, the two of them do a podcast together, a advice podcast. So I said, well, why don't we collaborate on 
turning these short stories into a series of you can read them and we'll we'll work on them together so we're going to turn the steamy stories short stories into a steamy stories podcast so that's what we decided to do together so i can learn and explore and and try my hat at something else one of the things about being a storyteller because do I really consider my? I guess I consider myself a filmmaker, but I, I really consider myself more than a filmmaker as a storyteller. And and a podcast or or a collection of short stories or a movie or any of it. It's just it's they're just different ways of expressing a story. So so I I think it's just kind of all different fun ways of of telling a story and and i'd like to just explore them and see where it takes me so whether it's a book or a movie or a podcast why not just try my hat at at learning new things how is short story writing for you because i find short stories when they're well done a lot of fun to read but also i find them wickedly hard to write to shrink plot into essentially a tiny bit of of yes. storytelling and these stories i don't know what the word count is but they seem pretty short <laughs> <laughs> i i think what is it and, I, and i'm terrible at this my husband has used this quote uh, i think it's mark twain uh, quote or something that said i would have i would have made a shorter letter if i but i didn't have the time something something like that and and, and i and it's it is true I think that the Steam Room Stories webisode, having written so many of those, over 250, has kind of geared me into short story formatting in the sense that, like, I just, it's beginning, middle, and end. Simple. It just, what happened? Two boys, where did they meet? What happens? How do they get together? And what's the twist? And, I think that it is difficult and it is a challenge but it it's kind of fun in the sense that it's you're in and you're out within a couple of days and you're not right. crafting this 90 minute movie or this this 250 page novel you're you're talking for me 10 pages and 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 I I kind of like it because yeah it is it is short format you're only talking about one Two characters, for the most probably, right? Two characters, one storyline, one one twist, and and you're in, you're out. So it's it's a different beast, but it's 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 a different challenge, but it's fun. And I, I guess now's the time to do the plug. So if anyone wants to find it, if they go to steamystoriespodcast.com, there's all the places it could be gotten, Apple and and etc. And pictures of Ben. Which are certainly not too ben shabby. Is to look very at. easy on the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason you cast him in Steam Room Stories to be among the the hot men. So yeah, <laughs> I'm excited that you're doing the podcast fiction because podcast fiction has grown so much in the last couple of years as just another medium to put story out there. It's an interesting storytelling format for sure. It's also one of, one of the things I, I, I want to do as we discussed a little earlier, is the representation representation of different groups of people and uh, different people's sexualities you know, being bi and fluid and, and, and such. That was one of the things, even with the movies, 
a lot of my friends identify as bisexual and, and I'm constantly being told that they're not being represented in stories and they feel marginalized. So that's one of the things I want to try to do is, especially with the podcast, is represent the fluid and, and bi community because I feel like as, as I've been made aware of it, the more I look, I don't see them being visible. So that's one of my goals is to is to make them visible in the show. It's always wonderful to see more diversity through all of our genres, whether it's the film or podcast or books or wherever where we can really show the spectrum of life and everybody <laughs> who's part of that. So yeah, even more looking forward to hearing those stories start to cycle up in the podcast as well. Let's look at your origin story a little bit. What got you started as a storyteller? I always liked to entertain. I always liked to to make people laugh. And I was always that person. My father's a really great storyteller and, 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 and joke teller. And I always saw how people responded to that. And, and I always enjoyed being able to to make people happy in that in that respect. So when the opportunity to become a filmmaker when I was in uh, college, I decided, well, let me make films because that was a great way of, of telling a story and, and sharing with an audience. So I, I just became a filmmaker. 1718, I really started working professionally in the business on, on movies in New York from uh, movie author two and Fisher King and and Star Trek Five. So I started working in films, but then just kind of got as a director producer, started working just professionally, and it was it was paying the bills. And I and I and I loved what I did, but I never really thought to be a storyteller beyond being a producer. I always thought, well, my job is to be the director and, and the maker of movies, not be the teller of stories. And then when I got a little bit older, I think I was forty five years old. I kind of thought to myself, I'm tired of making other people's movies. I'm tired of looking for scripts. And about 10 years, 15 years ago, I was like, there's, there's a group of people who are not being represented. I mean, me as a, as a gay man, really kind of coming into myself as, as, as a gay adult and finding who I was, I was like, I'm not finding any stories about being a comfortable, confident gay man who finds love. I don't find them. I find stories about, and not that there's anything wrong with that, coming out or being rejected by the family or not accepting and loving yourself or the AIDS crisis. But there were there was never really a story that I found about, hi, I'm a gay man, you're a gay man, and we fall in love. And none of the other stuff mm-hmm. is really coming into play. There's no prejudice. There's, there's no family rejection it's just it's just a love story and i was like i don't see that movie being made and that's why i said well i'm going to make that movie and uh, that's why i wrote is it just me because if you look at is it just me it is just a love story between two men there is no outside prejudice or no no issue about anything it's just a story about two men who find each other and fall in love and that had really not been done that I had found that had been really kind of done that way. And and the audience and the fans really responded to that. And, and the, the movie was very uh, well received. 
which made me think, well, if you enjoy that as much as I enjoy that, then I'm going to try another story. So by exploring me as a, as a writer, I wanted to explore, all right, now I made a, a love story. Now I want to try a fable. So then I was like, what's a gay love story, but slightly different? So I, I wrote E. Cupid as a fable. So I explored the love story, and then I explored the fable. And then E. Cupid was, by those who liked it, received well. And then again, I was like, what's a slight variation on that genre, which is the classic rom-com. Mm -hmm. I've never seen just a classic romantic comedy with two men. So I was like, well, let me try that. So I tried the 10-year plan, which then ultimately led to just a comedy, which was a steam room story. So it's really just me looking for expressing myself as, as a person and my, my evolution, as well as I think the community's evolution and, and seeing what the other men who I know and are friendly with in the community that I know, where's the need there and where's that intersection between me as a writer and them looking for something to consume. Who are some of your of your creative influences? I would say John Waters and Russ Meyer. Oh, nice. <laughs> Will's going to hear that later and go, yes. <laughs> two of his very favorites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really just... for just respond to their material and their sensibility and and I and I remember as a young young person I just loved it 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 just spoke to to where I I was and you could probably see that in my sensibility uh, that that's kind of where where I took some nods from also as comedians I remember I would love Mel Brooks movies uh, I would consume those and and there's a lot of influences, probably not the most classic influences as a, as a filmmaker, but you, you like what you like, and that's that was kind of where, where I came from. Mm-hmm. Your stories are so wildly different. I mean, just listing off the movies there, there's such a difference between like 10-year plan and steam room stories and E-Cupid and such. What are the trademarks in your work that help tie all that together? to show that it's your body of work. The common thread is that it's about the hero finding self-love and their journey of kind of learning learning that they they deserve love and and that that it's out there for them and all and that it's kind of a common theme for me is that you you may start off feeling slightly broken, but you're not. And that if the key, the key to life and love starts internally, and once, once you can reconcile that you are, are a loving, worthy, complete human being, and you accept that in yourself, then, then you, can, you can actualize love beyond that. And I think that's kind of really where I always, always start from. I also try to, if you looked at, at my body of work, there's always a mentor character that is a senior to the younger heroes, because I feel like older people are, are marginalized 
by the younger community. There's so much knowledge there and there's so much experience there and there's so much love there if if you're willing to open yourself up to accept it. And in all of my movies, there's always a, a mentor character that is available and and happy to to guide the young people who eventually realize that this is a person who has lived their life and this is a person who is is knowledgeable of where I'm going to and, and by not discounting this person I, I have a I have a, a world of information that is going to help me get to where I need to get so those are those are I think a couple of things that that make that make my films similar to each other is there a type of story that you want to tell but you haven't quite taken the leap yet yes I want to, in the worst way, in the very worst way, make a rock opera. I, <laughs> I would love to do some just kind of like awesome rock opera kind of movie. I don't know if you'd call it a musical, but but I guess I guess you could call it a musical. But there are so many movies that I I, I love that kind of do that. I mean, the Baz Luhrmann film Moulin Rouge. I thought that was really just kind of a spectacular film. And there's so many of those movies that, that the classic rock operas, I would like to do that. I'd like to try my hand at kind of a musical or slash rock opera. Wow. Please figure that out. Cause I would love to see what that would look like in your hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my husband wants me to do. He want he wanted steam room stories, the movie to be a, a musical. I and mean, I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I could, it's a lot, it's a lot of work, but I don't know if I could do it. So, but yeah, I would love to do that if, if given the opportunity in the future. Again, maybe I'll use all the money that I get from when Marvel options Revenge of the Robot. Hopefully somebody out there from Marvel is somehow <laughs> listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> Make that happen. What's a book or a movie or a TV show that you've taken in lately that you would recommend to our audience? It was a TV show probably about five years ago called Gallivant. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. Oh, I remember that 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 King Arthur musical <laughs> comedy. Show. Yes, I I have to tell you, I watched that the other day, and I found it hilarious and delightful. So, looking at just kind of weird things to watch, I don't know. I just I just it just tickled me. So if your if your fans are just looking for something obscure. And I don't know how obscure it is, but it's kind of obscure. It was because it was a TV show that I think four people watched. But yeah, I, I think the uh, the lead is super hot. And the music is just so clever and so funny. And, and it's just really sweet. So I, I would recommend I would recommend that. Excellent. We will link to that in the show notes for sure so that people can <laughs> find it. Because I know it's streaming out there, out in the big wide universe. Yeah, I'm sure um, it's findable. What's the best way for everyone to keep up with you online? Ah, well, thank you for asking. I, my, well, I, I just created an author website at jccalciano.com. So, so jccalciano.com is a really good place to to find my the writings. Steamroomstories.com is a great place to find everything about the Steam Room Stories universe. And uh, the podcast is uh, steamystoriespodcast.com, and that's findable on Apple and probably most places where podcasts can be, can be obtained. And 
the movies are at cinema175.com. So, and my uh, Facebook page, I guess, I, I don't even, I think my Facebook author page is facebook.com slash the JC Calciano, I think. So, we'll, we'll find all You'll those find me. And I think put you put it in the show <laughs> notes too so people can get to all those places. And I have to ask, why Cinema 175? I was inspired by, in the World War II, Article 175, which not a lot of people know that was the article about the incarceration of homosexuals. They, they used to call gay men, you know, gay people, 175ers. And I thought that was such a, a terrifying thing to be referred to back, back then. But in, in an attempt to kind of take the, the horror and the fear out of it, I was going to embrace it and just now own that that's, that's what we do, is we make gay films and we, we are proud of it. And, and, and that's why I called it Cinema 175. So that was the origin of, of that, that, that number. What a great way to take that back. That's awesome. JC, thank you so much for talking to us, telling us all about Revenge of the Robot and all these other great projects. Well, thank you for the platform and, and letting me share this with your fans and and talking about the work. And so this was really fun and, and, and really just a privilege to be able to come out here and, and, and talk to you and share this information. So thank you for that. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And don't forget, the show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. And thanks to JC for coming to the show and telling us all about the wonderful things that he's creating. I really loved hearing how he started Steam Room Stories for his YouTube channel. It started with that bench, a shower curtain, a fog machine, and hot guys and towels. I mean, it just goes to show you that you could really start out on a shoestring and really make something fun for everybody. Yeah, I really enjoyed the opportunity to talk to JC, and I'm really looking forward to whatever weird and wonderful and wild stuff he comes up with next. All right, everyone. I think that'll do it for now. Coming up on Thursday in episode 309, Layla Rain joins us to talk about wrapping up her Fog City series. You've heard it here on the show that I loved Queen's Ransom. I loved Silent Night. And we talk about all those things and what's coming up next. It's a really fun interview. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay strong, be safe. And above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our original theme music is composed by Daryl Banner.